The Start On Demand. On demand. Violence and tragedy in New Zealand, with dozens killed in two mosques in Christchurch. We'll discuss what happened and get reaction from those at the Winnipeg Central Mosque. It's the final day of our series on alcohol, uncorked, the dark side of drinking. And we'll hear from two men who have both had to deal with the dark side of their drinking. Winnipeg comedy legend Big Daddy Taz and former Saskatchewan Rough Riders broadcaster Rod Peterson, who was in Winnipeg this weekend for a conference. And would you pay five bucks for a primo parking spot at Polo Park? Because now you can. There are reserved parking spaces outside the four main entrances of the mall. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. This is the Friday, March 15th podcast for The Start. We start this hour with the top story around the world right now, and that is shootings at two mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand. Yeah, they've left 49 people dead and others seriously hurt. One man in his late 20s was charged with murder in connection with the incidents. The commissioner of the New Zealand police has confirmed three people were arrested, one of them born in Australia, after an active shooter situation led to, quote, significant fatalities at the mosques during Friday prayers. Police said a fourth person was arrested Friday, but that that person was not related to these events. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern of New Zealand made a powerful statement earlier today. I have spoken this evening to the Mayor of Christchurch, and I intend uh, to speak this evening to the Imam. But I also want to send a message to those directly affected. In fact, I'm sure right now New Zealand would like me to share a message on their behalf too. Our thoughts and our prayers are with those who have been impacted today. Christchurch was the home of these victims. For many, this may not have been the place they were born. In fact, for many, New Zealand was their choice, the place they actively came to and committed themselves to, the place they were raising their families, where they were part of communities that they loved and who loved them. It was a place that many came to for its safety, a place where they were free to practice their culture and their religion. For those of you who are watching at home tonight and questioning how this could have happened here, we, New Zealand, we were not a target because we are a safe harbour for those who hate. We were not chosen for this act of violence because we condone racism, because we are an enclave for extremism. We were chosen for the very fact that we are none of these things, because we represent diversity, kindness, compassion, a home for those who share our values, refuge for those who need it. And those values, I can assure you, will not and cannot be shaken by this attack. Now, here's uh, some audio from a man who claimed to have fled the scene of this uh, deadly mass shooting. He told a Reuters reporter about the moment he fled upon hearing the sound of gunshots. I saw one gun in the, the floor, and police were to stop in here. There was a lot of people die injured. Oh, there was around 145 
I was stopped right, I heard the back sound the gun and the second one I heard, I ran. A lot of people were sitting in the floor. The gun was around the door, I ran behind the mosque and I sat in behind the container, I rang to the police. Now, Loren, here in Winnipeg as well, Global News has been getting some reaction. Well, the Friday prayers are just wrapping at many mosques around Winnipeg, and Global TV was down at the Winnipeg Central Mosque, which, of course, is on Ellis Avenue, gathering some reaction for people going into prayers. As you can imagine, many of them were at a loss for words. What can I say? I can't say it. I know. I cannot. It's a hard feeling. I didn't believe it. I, it's a very sad to see what's happening. I don't know what to say about that one because I heard it from the radio when I was coming from work. It's terrible. I don't know what to say. Just praying for the people who lost their life for like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give them good way. Uh, Malika Kareem speaking to some of those folks as they headed into Friday prayers and many of them turning uh, breaking into prayer as they were talking to her because they were trying to figure out how, what to say and their only words were to just put a prayer out for those because they didn't know what to do. But it doesn't sound like at this point any changes were made to security for folks at Winnipeg Central Mosque. We're working to gather more information there, but uh, everybody in shock as they wake up this morning to that news. Of course, uh, prayers taking place at mosques around the world, and uh, I can only imagine that there are a, a wide variety of, of changes to security plans, uh, depending on on where you are and the decisions those mosques have made. It's a it's a it's a tragic day, a difficult time for lots of us who uh, woke up to this news. And if you're waking up to it uh, this morning, it's not an easy way to start your day. 49 people killed at two mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand. Four people have been detained. One man scheduled to appear in court tomorrow on murder charges. Police also found two improvised explosive devices inside a car. We will bring you the latest developments as they unfold through the day here on 680 CJOB. We do want to start this half hour once again with those shootings in New Zealand. And Justin Trudeau has issued a brief statement on Twitter condemning the fatal shootings at the two mosques, saying he says attacking people during prayers is absolutely appalling. And Loren, we had prayers going on in Winnipeg early this morning. Yeah, many of them, people, worshippers coming to the mosque in on Ellis Avenue, uh, looking to pray, obviously, for so many of the victims. 49 people left dead, at least 20 seriously hurt in those two mosque attacks in Christchurch, New Zealand. Uh, for more on how Winnipeggers are reacting to what they're hearing this morning, we're joined by Global News reporter Malika Kareem, who was outside the Winnipeg Central Mosque this morning ahead of those Friday prayers. Good morning, Malika. How are you? Good morning, Loren. It's uh, pretty somber out here in front of Winnipeg Central Mosque right now, still currently. What are people saying to you as they, as they come and go from there? It sounds like the overriding reaction really is just that of shock. Absolutely. Shock, disbelief, and just utter sadness. And all people can do is, you know, they, they kept asking me, like, is it real? Did it actually happen? And that was probably the saddest point. Uh, lots of tears, lots of, you know, after prayer, they came out and it was a little bit more angry potentially just at how ridiculous or how hurtful these attacks can be on the community. Um, a lot of sentiment of Islam being a peaceful religion and that they won't attack, um, attacks with attacks. And that uh, all they can do right now is just pray, pray for those that have passed away 
pray for those families that are affected and continue believing. I know that in some mosques in different communities uh, in other parts of the world have talked about stepping up security in light of this incident with the concerns being that there might, you know, it might spark others. What's the security concern there? Is there any? It doesn't look like it. Uh, There wasn't much security here in the morning for the first prayer that happens here. And uh, people just seem to be in disbelief and shock. And it was just very somber. You know, if we were asking people if they'd heard about it, some people said yes. They had tears in their eyes as they were talking to us about it. And they just couldn't believe that it happened. And it happened in such a horrific way. When they were asking you, Malika, about whether or not it was true, do you think that's in part just because of the extreme death toll or just the nature of the attack? We were hearing that this this one of the alleged shooters took video and, and live streamed the incident and was putting that out for the world to see. And the whole thing is just so horrifying. I'm, I'm curious in terms of when that disbelief, what was where did it come from? That's exactly it, Loren. They were actually saying to me that one of their friends, one of the people we spoke to said one of their friends sent them the video this morning. And he goes, I usually don't look at my phone in the morning. I come to morning prayer and then I start my day that way. Something was telling him that he needed to, um, you know, look at his phone this morning. He said he had a gut feeling, but then he watched it and he said it looked like it was out of a video game and that it wasn't real. So when we asked him, you know, if he knew about the attacks and what had happened last night, he told us that account of what happened and he couldn't believe that it was real. He said it looked like a video game. I didn't I didn't think it was true. The death toll alone is horrifying. It sits at 49. It's possible that that could raise following the two attacks at the two mosques in New Zealand. We'll keep an eye on those numbers and, of course, what they're saying about the accused in, and the victim. I want to thank you for your time, Malika. Thanks, Loren. Malika Kareem outside the Winnipeg Central Mosque on Ellis Avenue. And just as an aside on that video she was mentioning, horrifying for anyone to watch Global News and CJOB.com. We're choosing not to play that video at all at this point. And uh, we encouraging everyone not to share it. If you can only imagine how that would feel to take a look at that and to describe it as a video game is perhaps how it feels, but it's so very real and so very hurtful. Yeah, the manifesto uh, attached to this as well. And I think, Brett, your sentiments when we first met this morning, the fact that this has happened in New Zealand, a country renowned for its peaceful ways, its lack of gun violence is, is maybe the, the secondary note on this uh, that has shaken the, the planet is where this has happened the geography shouldn't matter, but I think that this is surprising a lot of folks as well. Yeah, that's certainly one of the, the obviously, it's noteworthy in the fact that it is a great tragedy, but its location does add that extra level of tragedy. New Zealand is not a place that you think, it's one of those sort of idyllic places that everybody wants to go, like, oh, I'd love to go to New Zealand. It just looks so beautiful. The people, you always hear about the friendly people. It just seems like one of those wonderful kind of, like, almost paradise kind of places to visit so to imagine this sort of this level of of shocking violence is uh, truly horrifying and kind of numbing really it really is and uh, i just read uh, multiple uh, tweets from from people that i know and one that summed it up best for me i'm trying hard not to be so so sad right now we've been talking all week about the dark side of drinking and yesterday we told you about the drain it is putting on first responders with Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service responding on average to at least 16 intoxicated persons calls per day. 
This morning, we want to share with you the toll it's taking on Winnipeg police. Constable Rob Carver telling us that despite a burgeoning meth crisis, alcohol is the underlying factor in so many of their calls. The theme underneath or behind the meth problem that's facing the city, and it's a theme that hasn't changed since I've been doing this, is a consistent problem with alcohol every day. Every officer out there, every frontline healthcare worker, every fire paramedic knows that probably on a daily basis our most taxing and common issue is is alcohol abuse. Uh, there's more violence for sure with meth, but uh, you know, if you're going to a fight uh, between two people, there's probably alcohol involved. If you're going to a domestic, there's a high probability that there's alcohol involved. You know, if, if, if there's people who are missing, often alcohol was part of how they went missing, whether they were at a bar or at a party. Um, when our call volumes spike, we look back on, on what happens, whether it's Christmas or a long weekend, it's always the key. Uh, alcohol abuse is, is right there. And alcohol and domestic relationships, uh, that fuels violence. And I know you've seen that. It, it is without question the key factor uh, that turns a domestic, um, potentially domestic or a potential problem domestic situation into a violent one. Yeah, for sure. It is It is the factor. I can tell you that from personal experience, the worst situations that I have been in personally in terms of my personal safety being at risk have involved alcohol consumption, either my own or the consumption of others or all of us involved. And when I listen to Rob Carver, he acknowledges that this has clearly been an a problem for a long time. This has been a continuous issue for years and years, societally and historically. So then you throw in and you add the meth crisis to this already challenging situation of having to control and intervene and police alcohol-fueled situations. And you can understand why City of Winnipeg police, paramedic, firefighters, they're all being taxed to the maximum. And he admitted the problem with alcohol, Rob Carver, with Winnipeg Police, is that we've perhaps become too complacent. I want to thank uh, yourselves for actually focusing on this issue because you're right, it just becomes the color of the background. And, and it has been a problem for forever. It's going to be a problem. I think we've made some changes. You know, I, I, uh, The stats on impaired driving have slowly crept down as really powerful media campaigns, social media campaigns have, have helped change the attitude. Um, alcohol and, and alcohol abuse is a problem in, in, in every society. It's a problem here in Winnipeg, and, and it fuels just a massive amount of, of the drain on resources. And I'm not sure what the, what the real solution is. Um, part of it involves education. Part of it involves um, uh, uh, really setting up rules in terms of safe service. Uh, you know, I, I know my colleagues and I often uh, had comments about, you know, as, uh, as cannabis was being legalized, that, um, you, you know, we very seldom uh, have to deal with somebody who, is, uh, who had been abusing cannabis when it was uh, illegal um, because of the, the level of difficulty or, or lack of cooperation they would present, whereas the bulk of police... Um, negative interactions where we're dealing with somebody who is non-compliant, we're usually alcohol, and that hasn't changed. I think that last point is fascinating, that police acknowledge the fact that those that consume cannabis, marijuana, 
very rarely a problem for police. And then here, this socially accepted, socially promoted activity of alcohol. You can't go anywhere, mm-hmm. right? We were talking about going to amusement parks in the United States and here in Canada. You go to professional hockey games. You go to Western Hockey League game in Brandon. And you go to your kids' hockey games. You know that there are parents that have... Uh, Headed to the either to the lounge or to the bar to have a couple beers, or they're drinking in the parking lot. So it's it's such a pervasive, such a huge part of what we do all it, the time. I was reading some of the comments, and we have this entire series uncorked on our website, cjob.com, globalnews.ca. But interesting, some of the comments yesterday were about, you know, well, hang on, we have a meth crisis, and that's scarier because of what happens to people when they're high on meth and the psychosis they go into, the weapons that they, they then might carry carry and then that makes it scarier for society to understand and grapple with this meth crisis and and please say that that it's more severe that the meth uh, issue in terms of the violence is more severe but the per, the pervasiveness of alcohol that leads to violence has been going on for decades and they're dealing with that and so our the question I have for people, are you okay with that then? just Is it just because it's legal? You have no issue with this high level of violence and drain on our resources because of this legal product? Is that what it is? I think we've done a good job in terms of flipping the script and the conversation about drinking and driving and drinking under the influence and, and limiting and reducing the number of people who are doing that. The, the next challenge might be reducing the overall complications that, that alcohol plays in our lives. Think of the May long weekend. Mm-hmm. Some of the like funnest times in your life might have been camping uh, on a May long weekend. And, and once upon a time in provincial parks, that included alcohol. We've changed that rule. You know, and so uh, I think that there might be some more changes coming. You can only get two drinks at a time. There are little things that have happened over time in order to slow it down, get us to think about how much we're consuming and where we're doing it. We are located at 1440 Jack Blick, which is just north of Hudson's Bay at CF Polo Park. And you can now reserve, and this is the headline at Access Winnipeg, you can now reserve a premium parking spot at CF Polo Park for $5. And sure enough, I went out and I actually snapped a picture and put it on our 680 CJOB Instagram story of these signs. Uh, When you pull up to the sign, it says there's a link where you can make your reservation. And if you are not registered, then you will be tagged or towed. Oh my. So? It's not very neighborly, is it? Would you do and this? They're good spots right by the door? Yeah. Yeah. We used to call that rock star parking yeah. back in the day, but uh, I guess you got to pay for that privilege now. I guess so, yeah. Or well, walk five more feet. Did you notice? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Did you notice whether, you know, you have the specialized parking, whether it's for handicap, whether it's for expected mothers, and that has that been... They still have, that's they still, still there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, still so it's still spots. okay. Yeah, yeah for they, free. I would not yes. pay for parking. No way. Yeah. <laughs> no, I got legs. I'll use those. Oh, you're cheap. Never mind the legs. I don't think yeah, there's a parking cheap. lot in Winnipeg big enough that it's that much worth it. Like if you're at Disneyland or yeah. something, but they yeah. get shuttles and Mar- stuff there. Mall right? of America with kids. Like if you're going to the mall and you're taking your kids with you, and if you have the extra five bucks, I would definitely consider it because of just the like you're getting just getting them to certain places. They're tired. It's not about being lazy or anything like that. They're little. They got little legs. You're trying to get them into like say the amusement park at Mall of America or something like that. And by the time you even get there, they're like, "Can we take a break?" And you're it's just because <laughs> it's so big. So I I would argue that in certain places. 
places, I would for sure pay for it. But I, I think about, you're right, Jeff. It's too small here. How about valet parking at the mall? They have that in California. <laughs> they have that at Nordstrom in Calgary. There are a variety of shopping malls where they have valet. Yeah. Would every you pay time for I've that? Every use valet, I'm like always thinking someone's going to steal the car. Like I'm a because you just check your keys at this person and you're like, this guy is just, is that even a mall suit? Like, I don't know. Okay, thanks, Bill. Red the jacket. Car. And then, yeah. My problem is I just don't like other people driving my car, period. I don't even like it when I take it to the shop and they drive it into the garage to do an oil change. It's like, you want me to do that for you? They're like, no, we got it. I was like, all right. I, I'm, I'm thinking the real busy times like Christmas, you know, you have the Black Friday and that sort of thing. I, then maybe it would be, you know, a worthwhile investment to pay the five bucks for the premium parking. But on Black Friday, they'll probably and, jack the price. Well, <laughs> and, and so you have to pay a little bit more. But I'm just saying, you know, there's times when it would be convenient. But I don't know that it would be a regular practice that a lot of Winnipeggers. Well, actually, there is there is some value in that. And Jeff Fortier, I think you can speak to that because there was a Saturday where you and I were both working an afternoon shift. And I don't know. I think oh, it was, that was Boxing Day. Was it Boxing I'm Day? I'm pretty sure that was Boxing Day. And it took you an hour to find a parking spot. Oh, no, it took me an hour to get around the building. I'd, uh, luckily, we have uh, parking downstairs uh, underneath the building, which I don't get to use much. But uh no, um, you're not supposed to know about that, Jeff. There's downstairs parking here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what? Yeah. You're not yeah. supposed to know about that either, like, Miss Underground? Like, <laughs> it's valet parking. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, there is a parkade uh, that 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 a special few here in the radio station have access to. Not uh, not us. Lower. No one in this room. You no better not be anybody room. in this room. No one on air. Fist. Keep yeah. my other car down there. <laughs> <laughs> Greg probably keeps all the stuff that's supposed to go in his garage. Oh down yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> But yeah, I, th- I think there there could be some value for, oh, for as sure. Matt pointed out, for families if you have to come to the mall on a busy day. But yeah, if it, I I'm generally the see it and take it guy, so I will park. My girlfriend gave me heck at the grocery store the other day. You parked so far away. I said, oh no, we have to walk an extra twenty feet. Whatever <laughs> will you do? Uh, I, I yeah. purposely park far away because people ding my car all the exactly. time. That's yeah. fair. All the time. Yeah, I'm with you for a change. I'm one of those people that ding people's yeah. car. Oh, I circle yeah, around yeah, until I find Forte's car and then I go park right beside him. <laughs> Kick my door open. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, and Mike Conkin, Global News Weather Specialist, joining us live from North Dakota once again. Mr. Mike, where are you today? Well, Brett, in about the same place I was yesterday. <laughs> Highways remain closed in the entire northerly direction all the way to Canada and to the west, to Bismarck. So escaping the city of Fargo at an early hour this morning seems still quite unlikely. However, the nice thing is as far as just driving conditions, at least within the city limits, yesterday after the rain and then the snow and just generally cooler temperatures, there's just a sloppy, soupy mess across every major street all throughout the city. But with all the cleaning up that's been taking place yesterday, the streets are actually within the city, actually look really good. All of that slush has been pushed off to the side and moved out of the way. So all of the ice that has been or would have been accumulating if it had to stay out on the roads, that actually is gone. So good news for drivers within the city, but the highways, yes, still remain uh, closed from here in Fargo all the way to Canada. 
Do you, do you guys get the sense that Mike's getting Americanized? He's got the lingo down. Uh, the highway's closed to Canada. That's that generic <laughs> welcome to Canada sign that we see in the movies. I, th- I think they're brainwashing you there, Mike. Hey, we've got... It's happened a little bit. I've, I've said that Winnipeg is in Canada. I've taken away the provincial name. Uh, so, yeah, I have, I have kind of lumped everybody really in mm. together now. <laughs> we better get you back soon. We might lose you all together. We're getting reports well, in that... In the meantime, I'm going to need more restaurants... Uh, uh, restaurant recommendations from you, Greg. Uh, yeah, sounds good. Yeah, we're we're gonna see how long uh, how long this highway closure really lasts. Because actually, it looks like the conditions are improving. There's not a lot of new snow that's going to be falling really in many places around the state. Uh, as I mentioned, the roads within the city have been cleaned up here and there, and it doesn't look like the blowing snow from the uh, highway camera that I saw around Grand Forks looks to be terribly bad. So I'm I'm hopeful that it will be opening up in the near future. Highway 75, according to one of our listeners, pretty bad from St. Adolph to Morris, max speed, uh, in their opinion, about 60 to 70 kilometers per hour. Loren, you and I had similar experiences on Highway 75 South uh, and when you started heading east-west, which has led us to this conversation about how, what does it take to close a highway in Canada? Yeah, it's it's a good question because I did think yesterday many of those highways were super slippery and dangerous and I wondered why some of them weren't closed. Some of those minor tribute, like minor sections were shut down at different sections because of crashes, but none of the roads were closed in the major tributaries yesterday. Um, but if I look at your state, Mike, you can't get on any highway. It looks like every single road is either closed, blocked. They're basically saying do not travel. So you're stuck. Yeah, if it's open, there is a do not travel advisory. So if it's not officially closed, it is highly recommended that you treat it that way. So, yeah, right now Fargo is kind of is where we're going to hunker down for a little bit yet. Mike Conkin joining us live once again from North Dakota. Godspeed to you, sir. Hopefully you can return home at some point this weekend. I'm, I'm hopeful too, Brett. All right. Global weather specialist Mike Conkin. Mike, I'm closing all the tabs that you've opened under my name at various bars and restaurants throughout Fargo. Uh, I'm, I'm making a, a bunch of calls as soon as we get off the air. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Thank you very much for joining us, and we invite you to weigh in with feedback at any time at 204-780-6868. And that's how we hooked up with our next guest, who texted us a couple of days ago and said, hey, I've got a good idea regarding this series. What about speaking to some entertainers who may have lived life, looked at the world through a bottle, and this man calls himself a reformed drinker. We know him as Big Daddy Taz, great local comedian. Joins us live now on the start on CJOB. Taz, good morning to you, sir. Good morning, my favorite people. How are you? We're doing well, Taz. First of all, I want to thank you for being you and for being so open in the things that you share. You you marketed yourself at one time or another, and maybe to this day is the bipolar Buddha. So you've been open about your mental wellness struggles, but not as open, at least to my knowledge and my recollection. I've been in a room with you lots of times over the years with regards to your battle with addiction. Well, you know what? It's uh, it goes hand in hand a lot of the times, right? I uh, before I admitted I had a, a mental health issue, my mental illnesses that uh, you self medicate a lot. You know, you find out. You know, I, and, and I joke about it quite a bit, but I mean, it is a very dark sort of time in my life where I was where I was using booze and and uh, some pills to sort of get myself to feel something or to stop feeling things. How long has it been since you've had a drink? 
you know what? I, I was talking to my, my son about that this morning when I drove him to school, and it's been so long that I don't remember the last time I had a drink. It's probably been almost 20 years, I bet, because it was when my oldest boy was three or four years old. I went, and, uh, you know, I, I tell the story on stage all the time, and uh, he ran into the bedroom one time and went to hide in the closet and uh, hit the mirror door, and he comes out and he said, Oh, Daddy, I didn't even see myself coming. And, of course, we started laughing about that, and then I realized he was crying, and then he started laughing. He said, Dad, because if you laugh about it, it doesn't hurt as much. And that was the universe's way of saying, listen, here's what you need. If you need to laugh about it, it won't hurt as much. And that's sort of when I got, uh, I know it sounds very cliche and a very um, odd story, but that's when I, I, it's what I needed to hear at the time. And I went, what am I doing? I know I'm mentally ill. I know that I'm drinking way too much, right? And I know I'm self-medicating and I went and got help. So it was probably 19 or 20 years ago for sure that I've, I've had a, I have had a drink. We've been talking all week about the idea that there's this assumption that there has to be some horrific moment in your addiction or other that drives you to stop or seek help. And that sounds like a pretty honest moment in a father-son's life where you where you finally kind of had that wake-up call. It wasn't rock bottom. It was just a really innocent moment where you maybe reflected. Is that right, fair? It, it's close. I mean, rock bottom is different for everybody, right? Rock bottom can be... Um, you know, finding yourself, uh, uh, you know, sleeping on the streets and rock bottom for somebody could be very broke. For me, rock bottom was losing, you know, losing uh, my marriage and, and, and worrying about losing my son, right? So, and, and losing myself. So you're right. Uh, it, it's just a wake-up call. It, it really is. And these, these commercials that are talking, and it's mostly aimed at the women having a, a glass of wine, to, you know, deal with the stress of children or the stress of life. That's such the wrong message to send out there. You know, if you drink socially, I've got lots of friends that drink socially. And I'm, I'm, I'm almost 100% sure that I can drink socially again. But now after such a long time, I don't have a drink because it's a badge of honor. But when you drink socially and go to have a few fun and have a couple of drinks and that's it, to me that's very acceptable. But when you're told that you could drink to uh, get through life and to avoid things, that's just such a wrong message. That's the start of an addiction. That's the start of, of not dealing with things. Taz, is it common for entertainers like yourself to overconsume? <laughs> Brother, you have no idea. And not only, you know, uh, alcohol, but drugs. And you, you look at every, uh, I shouldn't say every, because that's painting everybody with a, a brush, but you look at a lot of the major, um, a lot of the major uh, stars in comedy, and I bet you, if it's not nine and a half out of ten, uh, people have, have dealt with an addiction. Robin Williams, of course, um, hugely open about his coke addiction and booze addiction. A lot of a lot of entertainers. And you know what? I I think I know where it stems from because you go on stage, and you get that high, okay? No matter what your stage is, and then you come off the stage, and you're alone in the hotel room. And you, you're, you're, you're away from your family, you're away from your loved ones. And then the, you get into your vehicle or you get on a plane, you go to the next one. And you, 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 you are now back on stage getting that, that high, the adulation, the love of the fans. And then you get back to your room and you're like, where else can I find that? There's nobody around here to give me that love. So we get the warmth of the bottle in us. And then, you know, when you're out with friends, a lot of, a lot of comedians, a lot of actors, a lot of entertainers, they, they're, they're, we're, we're a little bit broken, they think, inside, right? People, we, we have our mental health issues, or we have our insecurities, so we drink to overcome that. And then we drink because we're with friends, or we drink because 
we're not with friends, but we want to make these people my friends, right? And people don't, and, and it's, it's weird. When, when I tell people I don't drink, uh, first of all, anybody that knew me back in the day were like, what? And then even now, it's, it's almost like you should be ashamed not to drink. Big Daddy you Taz. Joining us live on 680 CJOB. Taz, thank you for reaching out and for giving us this perspective. Uh, I never really thought about it that way. And and good for you for overcoming that and, uh, and, and, and holding the line, as it were. As you said, wearing your badge of honor proudly. I, I appreciate you, you bringing me on. You know, and, and the message for anybody out there that's drinking too much is you know you're drinking too much. And there is help out there. And there's much help out there. Addictions Foundations in Manitoba, your family, anybody. And by the way, if somebody asks you if you're an alcoholic, don't get mad at them. It's because that's what they see in you, and that's what they're worried about for you. So, you know, try to express it with love and love yourself as much as other people do. Big Daddy Taz joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you, Taz. Right now, we want to continue to bring you the latest on the shootings in New Zealand. And Greg, we have a statement here uh, from one of the leaders in that side of the world. Yeah, the uh, Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, described this as an extraordinary and unprecedented act of violence. For those of you who are watching at home tonight and questioning how this could have happened here, we, New Zealand... We were not a target because we are a safe harbour for those who hate. We were not chosen for this act of violence because we condone racism, because we are an enclave for extremism. We were chosen for the very fact that we are none of these things. Pretty powerful, incredible sentiments, but there were, as she mentioned, people watching in New Zealand and, of course, right here at home, and one of them was Shahina Siddiqui in Winnipeg. She's the executive director of Winnipeg's Islamic Social Services Association, and she joins us on the phone the, phone now. Good morning, Shahina. Good morning. An incredibly difficult night, I know, for you. I, I, when you. When I was talking to you earlier, you mentioned that you hadn't slept. I, I, I can only imagine what you were feeling as you heard the news late last night. Uh, yes, it is. I, I think I'm still in shock. Um, it's hard to put it put in words. You know, it's just something so so surreal that it has happened. And you know, we have this conference today, and we had one yesterday. Uh, we were talking about the rise of hate and how to address it, and, and trying to put a toolkit together. Uh, to address hate and, and talking about the rise of the far right and the hate groups and and then at the end of the day to get this news it's just like are we working fast enough? Are we doing enough? Uh, how can we prevent this from happening again? Because believe me, it will. Shahina, our, our heart breaks for you and and for those affected by this. So please accept our our condolences. Uh, Friday prayers. Is there something special about Friday, or was this just a part of daily prayers? Can you help us understand? Yeah, uh, Friday prayers are the congregational prayers. Uh, so Muslims, uh, you know, gather in the mosque, both men, women, children, um, and there. This is the only prayer that has a sermon. Um, so anybody who's been wanting to get, go after Muslims, that would be the perfect time and day to do it because mosques are full uh, across the world. What does this do when you hear 49 people dead, two different mosques shot up, 
in Christchurch, New Zealand, the death toll is horrific on its own, but just, you know, to be in your place of worship and have this happen to you, what are people in the community saying about what needs to be done potentially in the short term with security here in Winnipeg? Are there any actual security concerns here in light of what's happened over there? There, There is always uh, a concern. If something happens overseas, we see a rise in social media on hate messages against Muslims. Uh, it's a constant. So we are always on alert. But, you know, how much can you do? You're not going to stop living. You will not stop going to the mosque. Uh, there was talk maybe we should... Uh, Close the mosques for today. There may be copycats. There may be something, but you can't do that. You 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 have to live, and and I can tell you, it's it's very difficult to talk to our children about it. I have two grandsons that I don't know how I will. You know, you you want them to know, you want them to hear it from you, but you also want them to feel secure uh, and 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 not feel harmed because after the. Quebec massacre in the mosque, uh, our children were very, very frightened and um, to go to the mosque. But that's a place of worship. That's our sanctuary. Um, and that's the message these kind of attacks send, right? It's, it's calculated. It's, it's targeted. It's well thought out. Uh, and uh, so we're trying, we have sent out from our national organization, um, emails, uh, messages to every mosque in Canada to be on alert. We've asked the police uh, and, and RCMP uh, to be on alert because, you know, they follow the chatter. They know what's going on. Um, so that's the best we can do. And then, of course, pray because it's when you're already grieving to have to also worry about security, it, it's quite difficult. Shahina Siddiqui joining us live on 680 CJOB, Executive Director of the Islamic Social Services Association. Shahina, thank you very much for this. Thank you. And she mentioned the Quebec mosque shooting. There are unconfirmed reports the shooter in New Zealand was influenced by Alexander Bissonnette, the Laval University student convicted of killing six people at a mosque in Quebec City in January 2017. More on this story throughout the morning here on 680 CJOB. Right now, we want to divert your attention to something rather historic here, Greg, something happening later this month. Yeah, it's quite fascinating. Uh, CBC has done an incredible job with their Punjabi NHL broadcasts. Uh, Those gentlemen, those young men have become celebrities across North America based on their broadcasts. And they're downright enjoyable to watch and listen to, even if you don't understand the language because they're so animated. Absolutely fantastic. Couldn't agree with you more, Loren. Well, history could be made later this month with the broadcast of what's believed to be the first NHL game called in the Plains Cree language. The game between the Montreal Canadiens and the Carolina Hurricanes is to air on the Aboriginal People's Television Network on March 24th. APTN Chief Executive Officer Jean LaRose says it's a great opportunity. Not only is this a first for us, but it's a first for the language. And we're really, really happy to have this opportunity that uh, Rogers has agreed to uh, to. You know, work with us on this. Uh, to to me, it's a it's a testament to uh, the relationship we've had with them over the uh, the years. We've been telling you about Rogers' hometown hockey was in Winkler two weekends ago. Steinbach this past weekend. Well, this broadcast will come on the same weekend as Rogers' hometown hockey stops in Enoch Cree Nation near Edmonton.
Where can one find these Punjabi, uh, this Punjabi team that you you talk about? I have not seen or, or heard them, and now I want to look this up. Oh, they are fantastic. There have been some great calls over the years that have captured uh, uh, about, uh, boy, Donskoy, uh, one of the players, he now plays for the Sharks. I wish... Uh, I could have pulled some of the audio for this because some of these calls are absolutely incredible. It was a hockey night in Canada venture. And initially this came out of Vancouver because there was a huge community there of massive Canuck followers that also were Punjabi. And so they decided to put, you know, um, culture to air and make both combine both uh, the background and the sports all together. And so that's sort of the history. I've got one for you here. I believe it was goal. <laughs> it was a goal. This goal by Nick Bonino for the Pittsburgh Penguins in the playoffs in 2016 was immortalized in a t-shirt. In fact, and it just says Bonino, 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 Bonino. Awesome. With the Pittsburgh Penguins logo on it. It's absolutely fantastic. And uh, um, Hannah Ryan Singh used to join Keith McCullough and I on uh, on our Sports Sunday slash uh, hockey, Sunday morning hockey show once upon a time. Great interview. Knows his hockey inside and out. That is outstanding. I love the enthusiasm in that call. Thanks for digging that up, Mackling. Question of the day at cjob.com, which is brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. Would you pay five bucks to reserve a primo parking spot at CF Polo Park? Because that's what you can now do. They've got a handful of spots outside their four main entrances. We're sort of on the uh, the north side, just north of Hudson's Bay. And outside Hudson's Bay, there are six parking spots that can be reserved for a fee of $5. So the options are, yeah! Yes, but only on a busy day, or no way. So far, 82% say no way. 12% say yes, but only on a busy day, as Kelly Moore referenced earlier, Christmas time. Mm-hmm. Or, and 6% say yeah. What's so, the vote in this room, Brett? Brett? I would... No? No, honestly, I would actually, if it were, if it were that busy where I needed to reserve, I just wouldn't come. <laughs> if I wouldn't come to the mall. Like, I, I, I try to strategically plan my shopping at the holidays at times where I can avoid Yeah, the you're chaos. organized. You go ahead of time, right? I tried to. You were, t- you were done, I think, early last year. Yeah, I try to get it done at least a week out. Yeah. Uh, because I don't like... I, I made the mistake of trying to go... I still remember trying to go to Kildonan Place. It was a Saturday, December 23rd, I don't know, like 10 years ago. And I was heading westbound on Regent, and I turned right on Regent. I think the, it's Rougeau at that point, mm-hmm. sort of between the mall and Canadian Tire. And I couldn't even get into the mall. Like, I just ended up circling the mall. It took 45 <laughs> minutes just to do the loop around. I was in that lineup with you because I remember that absolutely distinctly so two days before. Well, that's that would be my... My argument. Yeah. I'm a self-proclaimed hotel Five snob. Boxes, nothing. Come on, guys. I, I, I like a nice hotel. I'll pay extra for the hotel. Uh, the VIP movie theater or the landmark cinema with the recliners, I won't go anywhere else. Yeah. But I think I draw the line of paying for parking Ooh. at the shopping mall. I, I was about to call you high-end Vo- No, no, I was going to but... say, you didn't let me finish, though. <laughs> valet or nothing. <laughs> See, I, <laughs> Give me I, the valet, baby. 99% of me would not pay for it, but there might be a day when I would consider right. it. it just, I, I'm a maybe. I'm I'm a mostly no for this 
facility because it is it isn't big enough to me to to warrant that. But I had mentioned earlier there are places like Edmonton Mall, Mall of America. You park in those parking lots with children, and you want to buy a golf cart when you get inside. They should yeah. have golf carts. I don't know why they don't. I think that all the time when I'm at I was they at do t- at Disneyland. They have the tram and running through the parking lot. They'll take you to the front Calgary gate. Airport was like a people mover. I rode it all over the place when I was there in November just to kill some just time. For fun? Yeah, it was like a full golf cart that just extended. Yeah. goes up and down the middle of the Calgary Airport, moving people around. Can I, just, I get on? Please? I loved it. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning. We continue our series on alcohol. Earlier this morning, we spoke with Big Daddy Taz, local comedian who calls himself a reformed drinker. He says many entertainers end up leaning on things like alcohol and drugs to get through the day. And he says he was one of them, but it's been a long time. He can't even remember the last time he had a drink. Could probably drink socially, but he chooses not to because he wears it like a badge of honor now and good for Taz. And now we have someone else here, Greg, who wants to tell us about their story. Rod Peterson, he was a play-by-play voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I will not hold that against him <laughs> because he probably already knows how I feel about Saskatchewan Rough Riders and the rivalry between our great provinces. Mostly tongue-in-cheek on my part, Rod. Thanks so much for, for doing this and, and your bravery to, to share your story of of recovery and and now spreading the word to help others in their own. So we appreciate it very much for you taking time today. Greg, thank you. And it's funny you say that because uh, with our sports conference in Winnipeg tomorrow, a lot of people are saying in Winnipeg, how do we get a hold of you? I'm like, ask any Bomber fan. They had no problem getting a hold of me for the last 20 years. So, <laughs> I'm easy to find. That's very, very accurate. So 20 years as a, as a broadcaster by any measure uh, for many of us, and I put my hand up on this one, uh, dream job, and your addiction to alcohol cost you your dream job once upon a time. Uh, yeah, that was a National Hockey League job. Actually, from the time I was six years old, Greg, every, every morning that I got out of bed, all I thought about was being an NHL radio announcer. And uh, fast forward to summer of 2014 i i secured that contract with an nhl team to be their radio broadcaster and within a week of agreeing to that uh that team had been told you can't hire me as an alcoholic it'll be the worst thing you ever do and they pulled the pulled the contract pulled the offer and uh <laughs> that actually put me into a bigger spiral and actually i think it was about five months after that i hit my rock bottom and it was actually the best thing that's ever happened to me because i haven't drank since so it's funny that Big Daddy Taz says he can't remember the last time he drank. I can remember mine. January 26, 2015 is not a day that I want to remember, but uh, that was the last date for me. What, if you could, and you don't mind, Rod, explain, explain to our listeners just the kind of grip alcohol had in you on that, at that time that sort of led to that rock bottom moment. That's a great question. And uh, probably, a couple, probably a month or two into recovery, I started to realize that it had me literally by the throat, had me pinned down by my arms and my legs. It was, it was controlling everything that I did. And it was a point of when I got up in the morning, I would think, when am I going to start drinking today? Is it going to be at lunch? Am I going to have to get a six-pack before my show? There was, it controls your thinking. Um, family functions, sporting events, not ones that I was working at, but that I was attending, all became a Alcohol completely controls your life mentally. You're going for a round of golf. You're wondering about lining up a ride home, or am I going to drive drunk and how drunk am I going to be and what path am I going to take? 
Does that kind of, you know, to get home to avoid the police. Um, it completely takes over your life. And when I got into recovery, 100% of my problems were related to drinking. And it was probably a couple of years later <clears throat> into sobriety that uh, other problems propped up in my life. That's just life whether it's the death of a parent or issues with my own kids, whatever, but at least I finally had the tools to deal with them. I heard the police officer speaking in your news about the percentage of the incidents related to alcohol that they have to attend to. And I wonder how many of those have to do with alcoholics and addicts or somebody that just overindulged and, and it scared them and they'll never do it again. You know, that's, it's a huge part of our society. And although we joke between the Saskatchewan Manitoba rivalry, the fact is our people are, pretty much the same you know it's agriculture communities we have a bad saskatchewan has the highest drunk driving rates in the country i don't know what manitobas are i just know saskatchewan's number one so it's ingrained in our culture and in our thinking here and i'm trying to do my best to um you know combat that because there's a big war against it you mentioned the dates that you remember the last day that you had a drink and you don't want to remember it. Uh, you talked about your rock bottom. Can you, for, for many of us, rock bottom can mean something different. What was your rock bottom? Oh, it was, you know, it's funny. I was, well, actually, not funny. I was out for a beer lunch with a friend of mine, a sports guy, and uh, I was about a month into using antidepressants, which, by the way, is another great question. I went to the doctor around Christmas uh, and said, I think I'm depressed. He should have said, stop drinking, but he gave me a prescription for an antidepressant and I was mixing alcohol and antidepressants. And um, after that beer lunch on that Monday, January 26th, I went into work to do my show at four o'clock, but I don't really remember leaving the bar. I don't remember going on the air. I think I was on the air for about five minutes and they removed me and being from here and having all my friends and family and really (laughs) the whole province listening it doesn't get much more rock bottom than that for a broadcaster. So I was removed from the air, woke up the next morning, had no idea what had happened, apologized, and they said, that's it. I actually faced an intervention um, the next day after that, and they said, you're going to choose door A and get into recovery and get help, or door B, keep doing what you're doing, keep drinking, but you've got to sign these papers, your job's done. And I chose door A, and I'm now doing interventions myself. Uh, but Everybody's rock bottom is different. Some's landing in jail, some's a zero eight, some, who knows? It doesn't have to be that severe, but if it's problems in your life, you need to examine what's causing them. And if it's alcohol and drugs, there's another path to take to get you out of that, uh, you know, get you down the right road. Rod Peterson is our guest. He's a mental health advocate, sober coach, and interventionist. As he just mentioned, he's a former broadcaster, and uh, by all means and and by every measure, one of the best uh, sports broadcasters uh, and play-by-play men in this country that that they've ever seen in Canada. And Rod, you're coming to Winnipeg, and so we've talked about why you're here. Let's talk about how you're helping those that might be on their way to where you ended up helping them prevent them from getting there and, and turning things around. Well, I appreciate that. Um, the number one weapon against addiction is prevention. If you don't start or if you nip it in the butt early, we can save a lot of careers, a lot of lives, and a lot of families. So a good friend of mine is a Winnipegger, Shane McGowan. He's a mental strength coach. He works with athletes of all sports at all levels. He said, why don't we do a conference I'll do my thing. You do your thing with substance abuse, prevention, and mental health. I quickly roped in Paul Lapolis of the Blue Bombers to come and speak about teamwork and leadership. 
and we have a nutrition coach named Shane McGowan. So the four of us are going to speak at the Clarion Hotel and Suites Saturday. It's, it's fairly quick, 10 till 3, I think. It's only $50 a head. These are four pillars of the sports industry, guys. Mental strength, teamwork and leadership, nutrition, and mental health. And so when you ask what I'm doing, real briefly, I'm working with athletes and broadcasters and entertainers like Big Daddy Taj, not him specifically, but those where alcohol and drugs or mental health are causing issues in their life. I've been through a lot. I've dealt through a lot of it, and I'm trying to assist those now. And, and with the mental health, sometimes it's just a couple little tweaks in your daily routine that can get you having uh, reaching maximum potential as an athlete or as a broadcaster, as a performer, or anybody in life. Didn't you? Didn't have to be that. But I do my specialties, public figures. But I'll you know I'll work with others. And then just with addictions, um, you, know, you talk about alcohol and drugs. Nine out of ten people can do them and have no problem in their life. I want to make it clear. I don't tell people not to do these things. But for one out of ten, like myself, when it's causing a problem in your life and <laughs> ruining your life, there's a better way. And that's what we're trying to hit kids young. Uh, and that's, this is designed for athletes and their families to come and hear about these four pillars of sports uh, tomorrow at the Clarion. Rod, we just got a couple minutes before we let you go here, but I, I just wanted to acknowledge something, and, and that's you, you talk about uh, the pressure that goes with any sort of job, and you're talking about how, how you help folks, and the people in this room here have been with me when I've been in the middle of a, an anxiety attack, and I'm texting people that I can count on to sort of walk me and help me through that. The awareness of knowing what you're dealing with is so powerful a weapon against Mental illness in particular. Of course. Really, all you, the cure usually is talking about it. Just getting it off your chest and having somebody to talk to. But if you are inside your own head, um, that is a very ugly war to have to fight. So you're right. Having the right people around you usually is all that it takes. And in my case, with the athletes or broadcasters, a quick text message will settle someone down. So it's just it's we're teaching people the tools to get over these things. I'm glad you, you shared that. Uh, anytime. And Rod, thanks for uh, sharing your story with us. How can people uh, hook up tomorrow? You know what? DM me or private message me today. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, very easy to find, and we'll reserve you a spot. It's only $50. Registration, 9 a.m. tomorrow, Clarion Hotel and Suites. Everybody knows where that is, out on Portage. And the website is petersonrecovery.blogspot.com. Rod Peterson, thank you for joining us and sharing your story. Awesome. Thank you so much. Have a great day, everybody. Rod Peterson, mental health advocate, sober coach, and interventionist. He'll be in Winnipeg tomorrow at the Clarion Hotel. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global, and on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.